Hello and welcome back to the spreadsheet test brought to you by Looks Good on Paper. As ever, I'm your host, Felix Pate. I'm on my own today and I thought I would use this as an opportunity to uh, take a step back and look at the last sort of 18 months and give a little bit of a one-stop shop episode for all of our metrics and models and fancy stuff I put out. Well, it's not that fancy, but all the stuff I put out on Twitter. Uh, I understand people like to understand things in different ways so there's there's threads and blog articles about all of our stuff but i thought i'd put out an audio stroke video version as well uh, for people to go back and refer to um, listen to and obviously give feedback on uh, as a little bit of a an overview of lgop so far and maybe what's going to happen in the future so i i'm not sure i've ever really spoken fully about me and my background and why i I'm doing what I'm doing at the moment. Um, so if, if you don't know, I, I currently study mathematics and statistics at the University of Liverpool. I'm a first year undergraduate there. Uh, and my, my aim is to do that degree and possibly do a, a PhD, become a, a doctor in mathematics or a doctor in statistics. But I could obviously change given the uh, climate of clubs hiring in football and data journalism and things like that so we'll see um i got into the kind of football analytics sphere if you if you were um around 2017 so i was in school year 10 here in england so i'll have been about 14 15 a couple of things got me into it obviously as you can see that i've called them the holy trinity um moneyball by Michael Lewis uh, book and obviously got turned into a film uh, featuring Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, a very good film. If you haven't watched it, I recommend you do so. Uh, The numbers game, Chris Anderson and Dave Sally is really regarded as sort of ground zero uh, alongside economics there by um, Stefan Szymanski and Simon Cooper. Those are two really good introductory books. And if you're listening to this and you're interested in, in football analysis and you haven't really got a clue where to start i think those two books are definitely really excellent places to start in terms of other literature that also helped me move along in this phase um mathletics by wayne winston doesn't have anything um, football specific in there it's mainly focused on the american sports but there's a lot of concepts and this is one thing i i harp on a lot about i got into football analytics but a lot of the ideas that i started playing around with at first didn't come from football they they came from a lot of other sports football lags behind a little bit compared to certain other sports in terms of data analysis and data science and i think there's a a heck of a lot of concepts we can still learn from baseball and basketball for me in particular um that can translate quite well to football as long as obviously they're uh, adapted to suit the specific demands that and the challenges that football presents compared to those two sports, um, namely being more dynamic and fluid than baseball and having um, a greater number of players and actions uh, as well as less substitutions than a sport like basketball. Um, so at school, going back to kind of where I came from in all this, um, maths was my passion, math and science, initially it was science, um, biochemistry and veterinary science were things that sort of interested me. But once I got my sights set on the maths route and picked my A-levels, I did 
maths, further maths, computer science, and something called an EPQ, which I'll, I'll touch on in a little bit. Um, the maths and the further maths are really interesting in terms of learning advanced mathematical concepts, some of which I've been able to apply to some of the data modeling I've done, especially in the statistics modules, which is obviously why I decided to go on to study it at university in greater depth. Um, probability distributions principally being the one thing I took from my studies that I've taken into my LGOT work. Um, but it was really the computer science that hammered things home. So I, up to this point, I'd, I got a few basic spreadsheets. I'd looked at data from um, who scored and dabbled with a bit of XG stuff from understat. But our computer science uh, A-level project was to basically build a, an all-in-one solution to a problem using uh, the programming language Python. Uh, I'd spent two years learning Python for my GCSE in computer science. I was familiar with the basics of it, I suppose. But um, this A-level computer science project, which was to take up pretty much one and a half out of the two years of A-levels that we were to do, the, this, uh, the, the scope sorry, was quite open-ended. Um, so I said to my teacher, do you reckon it's feasible that I, I try and build something that can predict football matches? Um, and he was like, well, yeah, probably. But you're going to need to you know, put some real detail into it. So, uh, you know, we had to design um, the problem, come up with the problem we wanted to solve, design a workflow to work around it, just as people do in software development in real life. So I quickly settled upon this idea of being able to pick customized lineups. So you can pick two sets of 11 players, past or present. Uh, and that was key. That's one of the reasons why the metrics I have are the way they are is because I want to be able to evaluate football players from 1878, which is when Everton were formed, um, right up to 2021 and beyond. So that's, you know, 150 years of football history. And they weren't keeping expected goals data in 1900, let alone 2000. So that presented a bit of a challenge. Um, so the two custom lineups, um, be able to set things like formations and, tactics um, a little bit and you know modify the player stats a little bit and then simulate the game and see what the most likely outcomes were so were team a more likely to win how likely how what percentage of the time were team a going to win how many goals were going to be scored how many passes can we expect the players to play that was my end goal as it were so i started coding these things and i started having to develop some metrics i was like well what what can I use really that is available for every player? So we've got the games that they played, um, you know, how many games they were playing every season, um, goals, how many goals did they score, clean sheets for goalies, how many clean sheets did they keep? That, that goes back quite a long way. And if it wasn't, then I could technically collect it by hand because I could look at the games they played in. And we could look at the team results and see how many goals, how many games they played where their team didn't concede any goals. So that was feasible. Um, yellow and red cards, but I didn't really want to include that because they didn't really come into play until halfway through the 20th century it, in the way we see them today, where you can see, you know, six, seven bookings a game, a red card every couple of games. They, they weren't dished out in the same way. The, the uh, lenience of referees is, I don't want to say diminished, but maybe that's probably the best word to describe it. Um, 
So I, I had games, I had goals, I had clean sheets, and I had results. I had how many games did I play, win, lose, or draw, um, or you know, points per game, things like that. So I thought, okay, I've got pretty much four data points for <laughs> for every player. How can I spin that into some metrics? And it, I, I just went from there. And genuinely, it, it's four years of using pretty much exclusively these four data points and messing around with various formulas, seeing what the results were. Was Lionel Messi near the top? No. Okay, back to the drawing board. How can we make sure that... Yeah, it, it's called the Messi test for a reason. You, you want him to come top in any sort of composite metric you're making just just to check you're on the right lines and eventually i was developing and refining and honing things down and i was looking at the top of the list you're getting players like Lionel messi and, and pele and franz beckenbauer and you're thinking okay I'm, I'm probably going along the right sorts of lines here and refine it further and then someone like um, phil foden pops out near the top when he was just starting to emerge and you think okay there's either a bug or or he's really really good um I, I hope it's the second one. I, I do think he might go on to become, you know, a very a legend of the game potentially. Um, so when he started appearing at the top, I thought, okay, let's let's keep tweaking it. He's not played many minutes, so let's punish people who haven't played as many minutes, perhaps. Um, and then, alongside my levels, I did something called an EPQ, which is an extended project qualification which is basically like a university project to prepare A-level students for university. Um, so if you're not, if you're listening to this and you're not from England, A-levels, you do two years, and when you're 16 to 18, um, you pass a set of exams, and then hopefully you get to university when you're 18, you do a degree there. Um, so this EPQ is sort of a mini dissertation to prepare for university life. And again, the, the scope of it is completely open-ended, you can write on whatever you like. Um, you know, some of my friends did them on Norwegian prison systems or in the Arab Spring, um, alternative veterinary medicines. You know, this the scope's really broad. And then I rock up uh, and I said, I'm going to do one about Brentford Football Club. Um, and the man who owns them, Matthew Benham, I'd read a, I'd read a few pieces online about Brentford and how they were trying to moneyball football. Um, and Mitulin too. Uh, the success probably came to Mitulin before it came to Brentford. Uh, and I started reading Stats Bomb. Um, and Ted Knutson, the founder there, used to work um, for Smart Odds and for, for Brentford and Mitulin and the recruitment department. So that piqued my interest. I just started reading about Matthew. Um, I read a book called The um, Football Secret Code of Football, I think, by, by James Tippett, who now runs XG Philosophy. Um, and that opened my eyes again to Matthew Benham and expected goals and using data to to find undervalued teams and players. And it really did snowball from there. So at the same time, I was doing this project and reading about Matthew Benham, culminating in a, a 5,000 word essay on him. And alongside that, I was taking these concepts and trying to apply them to my computer science project. And then you add into the mix as well some of the concepts I was learning from maths, such as um, sampling techniques. So dealing with small sample sizes and something called regression to the mean, which is basically, for those who don't know, if something is at the extreme end uh, of something, either on the high extreme or the low extreme, um, then we can expect with a, an X probability, an X percentage probability, 
that it will revert to the average value at some point. Um, so, so take passes. If the average number of passes for a player in a game is 60 and someone's playing 140 uh, for a limited time period, then we can expect over the next sort of time period that number to come closer to 60 than stay at 140. And likewise, if someone's only playing 20, we expect it to go up towards 60 rather than hover around 20. But the more game time we get uh, and the more samples we get of that player, the more certain we can be that that's their true level and they're going to regress back to that average a little bit less. Um, so all this is going on. I also did some work experience at, at Huddersfield Town in their analysis department. And what was really interesting is they they mostly did video analysis. I've written a blog piece on this, which I'll link to in the description. They were pretty much exclusively doing video analysis there. Um, they were in the second season in the Premier League. They'd survived the first season. Uh, and I was quite shocked by both by how you know, the culture and the workflow in a, a top-flight club like that works, but also how little data resources there were. This is the time when Brentford had got big news stories and Liverpool's analytics department had been lauded and City Football Group had done their hackathons and things like that. I, I was quite shocked. Um, I, I did some bits of data work for them and I, I hope they were quite impressed by it but nothing ever really followed up and obviously they ended up getting relegated and the club's not in the best position at the moment obviously it's not solely down to not having any data analytics as part of the decision making process but could it have helped almost certainly sure um, and I, I think the budget would have been there um, given that they were a Premier League club and the resources proportionate to what you're spending on players uh, are a lot smaller so that's sort of a whistle stop tour of, of how I got into football analytics and the ideas that I learned and then lockdown happened so I didn't end up finishing the computer science project um, because we had no exams we had no coursework it was, it was based on teacher grades so I thought well how am I going to fill my time a bunch of my friends really like football I started listening to podcasts Okay, football podcast. Let's do a football podcast. So we st we started recording like two podcasts a week, just because we were bored and when we weren't playing Xbox, we thought oh, let's record a podcast because there's there's not a lot else to do. And we came up with the name Looks Good on Paper because we thought okay, let's build our best eleven. Let's set a criteria: players under twenty three that are left footed and have played with John Terry. I don't know, random example. Um, and build our best 11 using these criteria. And I thought, okay, well, we're building these 11s, but have we got a way to test how good they are? Well, yeah, I can I can go back to my project. So it was good because I didn't have to do all the admin around, okay, here's a, a section of code. I've got to now test it. I've got to develop it. I've got to show how I've progressed to make the code work. I could just make the code work um, without any of the boring written bit on the side. So I got a rough working version of our, our simulator working, started developing a, a couple of actual metrics that could show how good the players were, one of which eventually became impact score, which I'm sure a few of you listening may well be familiar with at this point. So that leads us on to out with the old and in with the new. Impact score was the first thing that kind of got my the ball rolling for me on analytics Twitter, if you want to call it that. And essentially, I took the idea from a stack called OPS Plus in baseball. Um, 
which basically sets the league average at 100. Um, and every point above that or below that you are is how, uh, what percentage above or below the league average um, you are. So I thought, okay, I'll combine these four factors that I've got to play with, the goals, the clean sheets, the minutes, and the points per game. Mesh them all together. Do a little bit of regression to the mean, like I'm before. Uh, do a little bit of adjustment for, for teammate quality and opposition quality. Spit out a number. See how good that number is compared to the average. Voila, impact score. 100 is average. 150 is incredible. 15, you probably shouldn't be playing. And uh, looking back on it, it was really basic. It, it was not great looking back on it. I'll be honest. There was not enough adjustment that went on. There was not enough control for quality of teammates and opposition. There was some, but there wasn't enough. There wasn't enough control for league. I don't like putting blanket league adjustments on things. Um, but when I was getting Matt Casey in the Portsmouth Reserves at 220, that was just wrong on so many levels. And looking back on it, I know where the mistakes were. There wasn't enough correction for small sample sizes. There was nowhere near enough regression. I, I don't even know if there was any regression to the mean in that first version or whether I just said, okay, he's played two games and won both of them. Brilliant. He must be incredible. Like, probably not looking back. There wasn't enough uh, weight given to consistent minutes played rather than, you know, somebody played 200 games and got 1.8 points per game against good opposition should be higher value than someone who's played 13 games against that same opposition and got 1.9 points per game, for example. But I learned, um, and I got weird results. And when you get weird results, you think, okay, how can I tweak my uh, my formulae and my processes to get the results as, as hopefully as accurate as possible? And there have always been players that my metrics haven't really liked. Um, the Holy Trinity, oh, I need to stop saying the Holy Trinity, but people like Jack Grealish um, and Wilfred Zahar always stick out like sore thumbs. And hopefully, you know, there's some new stuff in the pipeline that can sort of correct for this, but I'll come on to that in a little bit. But there we go. That was that was me off and running, really, in terms of developing football metrics and Eventually, we started doing these drafts on our podcast and impact score became the common currency that we'd use when someone picked a player. We could use his impact score and say, oh, that's that's quite a good pick according to our model. That's, that's maybe not so good. You know, someone picks a 130 player and 95 with the next pick. And all the while, I'm behind the scenes tinkering with things, coming up with better ways to judge impact score. How can we judge it better across various positions? I think initially in the data set, I had about 30 different positions and based on like playing time at if you played the half few minutes in center mid and half few minutes in attacking mid, you got given a hybrid role between the two. Um, and I, I stripped that back over time just to make things easier. And I've added in the role analysis that you might see on some of our player dashboards. And then the next thing after impact score was um, something called GPS goals per season, which was trying to quantify impact score combine it with actual minutes played per season so we were devaluing those players like i said before that weren't playing as many games and turning that somehow into a a number of goals on both attack uh, and defense and then combining those for an overall figure that a player is worth to his team in goals because goals are the currency of football 
my work has, has since I've tried to go down this path of valuing everything in terms of goals because these are currencies that are universal across football managers and coaches understand them scouts understand them pundits and understand them fans understand them. everyone understands the, the concept of a goal that is the common currency um, so trying to convert everything in into a goal value probably makes sense if statistics is to become or metrics is to become mainstream long term so gps was again very rough and raw and wet behind the ears attempt at doing something like that and again people coming out on top were the usual suspects Sergio Busquets always comes out well in any metric I try and develop obviously a good player Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Manuel Neuer heavily skewed towards modern players and I've always tried to explore why this might be I do think the standard of competition has just increased exponentially as football's gone on especially something like the Champions League coming in and you're getting the the very best of Europe's elite playing each other um, on a semi-regular basis, I suppose. Not regular enough that it gets boring, like the European Super League that's been proposed might, but certainly playing each other, that the cream definitely has to rise and the, only the very best. But I think you know, judging players on how they've done in, in Champions Leagues, especially the modern era, so the 90s onwards, He's generally tends to be a pretty good barometer of where we put that player in sort of all-time pantheons. And hopefully metrics like the ones that I've developed over the last couple of years can go some way and become a little bit more mainstream in, in helping us rank players historically and seeing where current players might end up retrospectively. Uh, and then <clears throat> I decided to try and combine these two Okay, never combine anything with different denominators, which these two did. You learn that in maths. Um, fractions with different denominators, you've got to convert them to the same denominators before you combine them. But you know what? I went on with it and tried to convert them into to influence and output, looking at things on a, both a per 90 and a per seasonal basis so that we weren't judging those who weren't playing often too harshly, but we were, st were still giving them a, a little bit of a penalty I think overall, I, I, I'm quite happy with what I learned developing these metrics and the reception they got was great. Uh, and I got a lot of good feedback on how to, both what I'd done so far and, and how to improve them. But I just don't think there was enough transparency when I was developing these early metrics. I, what I, I suppose I mean by this is the methods were always a little, I could never explicitly say what my methods were i could only say okay it adjusts for teammates and opposition and it takes into account minutes but i can't say in what proportion and i can't say in what proportion a goal counts i think that was probably what was holding back its development and why i decided to to stray to some some new measures which we'll, we'll come on to um shortly and i guess you know i'm really happy as i say with with what I learned, and I think for any metric to kind of go big and, and break into mainstream football culture, it, it has to be transparent. Uh, I know the sports do it better because the methods are out there. A lot of them are really tough to calculate, which is why they're not copyable. Mine probably could be, um, which is why, you know, for, for IP reasons, I, I did have to keep stuff a little bit secret because I didn't want to put all this effort in and then 
for it to get ripped off and me not be left with anything when ultimately my my aspirations are to work in football um but i i hope when we move on to the new stuff in a second that the transparency has grown a lot uh, and people can see this and probably can replicate it to a certain extent but i'm hoping I, both with you know the collect a lot of the data collection has been manual um because i collect it from so many different sites scraping would be helpful but i don't know how feasible it would be given i'm collecting from 10 plus sites at times um so i guess moving on to what we have now the new and improved parejo system i i like things to have acronyms we've got parejo and we've got clough as well the manager model i just think acronyms are cool again a lot of the nba mlb statistics have um acronyms you've got raptor from um, 538, you've got Pakota, which is Nate Silver's baseball projection system. So I thought, and Danny Parejo, he used to have pretty average impact score, pretty average GPS. Then after Danny Parejo, um, so Pate's adjusted ratings using ELO for judging outputs uh, is what it stands for. Yeah, the long winded version. And yeah, it is an ELO system by and large, borrowed from concepts from chess. Uh, and what it means in essence is that. If two teams are playing, we look at the difference in the ratings. Uh, the bigger the difference in the ratings between the two teams, the more likely that the better team is to win. And then we look at the actual results. So say the better team does win, then they only gain a few rating points and the team that loses only loses a few rating points because that result was expected. Um, whereas, say, an underdog with a, a 10% chance of winning manages to win the game. They're going to gain a lot of rating points because they've heavily outperformed our expectations of them. So we need to adjust more harshly to correct for that. Um, so ours works in terms of it uh, gives you rating points or you lose rating points based on the magnitude of the upset. So the bigger the gap between ex expectation and result, the more points. And also the fewer games you've played, the more rating points you'll lose or, or game. Because obviously, as I said before, um, with smaller sample sizes, we need to adjust towards the mean more harshly than we do for someone with lots of sample sizes because we can be more confident that that's close to their their true value, in inverted commas, than we can with someone who's only played a handful of games. So that's where we're at with um, Parejo. Again, as I said, the transparency is absolutely key, and, and this is as transparent as it gets. Anyone could go out and collect match data um, and log the results, log the expectation, and build up an ELO system for players over time. Um, the beauty for me is that I've always wanted metrics that can translate historically across the whole time period of football and at any, any level. Um, so you could do this for Sunday league teams. You could do this for, for junior teams. You could do this in training. I was, I've spoken to coaches about doing small-sided games in training, and if you log stuff like this in training, you can actually see who's having an effect, um, who deserves to start. You can balance the teams as fairly as possible in training or you can unbalance them if you want to if you want to give players a challenge and see if they rise to it so collecting information like this is simple but also really powerful predictively is my hope um, there's a lot more um, adjustment for things like age curves as well in the new Pareja system that didn't really work in impact score that was just flat career data uh, taken over as many games as possible whereas Pareja does certainly adjust for 
age and an injury as well. Being out for injury lowers your score. Playing too often lowers your score. We don't want players to experience burnout. It's only small penalties, but you can never expect someone who's either played loads of games in a row or is coming back after injury to come back at exactly the same level. Um, obviously, there's still tweaks happening and there's still changes that I'm making behind the scenes and players' scores will fluctuate. If I post a graphic of a player two weeks in a row on Twitter, the scores, even if they've not played, the scores probably won't be the same as I, I tweak little bits in the algorithms. But on the whole, I'm, I'm pretty happy with, with where it's at and I'll continue to use it for the foreseeable future unless I think of anything different or unless someone manages to point out a major flaw to me. If you do see any flaws in it, please get in touch with me so I can fix them. Um, if you're interested to know a little bit more, again, please get in touch and I'd be more than happy to chat a little bit more in detail about it. And with Parejo, um, we brought out a few new visuals, so I, I just thought I'd go into a little bit of detail on the new graphics we've got because I have had quite a few questions about them. And again, if I don't answer your queries in this, please DM me on Twitter or send me an email and I'd be more than happy to try and further your understanding because ultimately I, I want these to be accessible. I want my my metrics to be to be used by as many people as possible, really, both within the game. I, I want to help teams form advantages, but also just, you know, for the general fans, if they want an idea, if their club's linked with a player and they don't have time to watch them, at, at least they can get a basic feel for, for how good the player might be and what they might be good at based on um, some of the Elgot metrics. So contribution maps. Um, no, they don't use event data. Um, as I say, you can't get event data going back more than 10, 15 years. So like a lot of my stuff, it's based on a lot of modeling assumptions. We look, So this um, one that you can see on the screen, if you're watching the YouTube version, is for a right winger. Um, now right wingers will have varying numbers uh, within nine grids on the pitch based on the horizontal and vertical thirds. Um, but basically, we look at how many minutes a player plays at each position. So if a right wing has played a few more games at left wing and at striker, um, then their contributions will be spread out across the pitch a little bit more. Whereas if they play exclusively at right wing, right midfield, um, it will be solely pretty much concentrated on the right-hand side. And then we look at their, their attacking defensive passing proportions. So like I said, we have goals. Uh, and from the, the goal rates and who they were scored against and how often they scored, we can build up a picture of a player's general focus as a percentage on attacking and a general focus on defending um, and then a general focus on more of the passing, the middle third. So it's defending is sort of his own third, passing is the middle third and attacking is in the final third, the opponent's defensive third. Uh, and that allows us to build up an assumption of a contribution map of in general, where we, we might expect a player to make his contributions or even to go a step further and say, maybe if a player is utilized along these proportions, we might be able to get the best out of them. Maybe they're not being used enough in the right areas and this could give a glimpse into perhaps why. Um, and then projections. I think this is a big thing football can learn from other sports is we use a lot of data that's descriptive and it's just described what's happened, but I don't know if there's necessarily enough value from that that we can derive to say, okay, well, we know this about a player. Can we use that to assess what they can do in the future? And 
a, someone like Smarter Scout are really good at doing this. You know, they've actually built profiles of what good young players who go on to have really good careers tend to do by certain ages, and they can use that to benchmark. And again, I'm trying to do the same here. It's using historical priors, which is another reason I want to be able to collect as much historical data as possible and use that to model the future. So if we, we can see that if a player um, by the age of 19 was already at 1,200, then he's probably, there's a range of paths he could go into, and there is quite a wide range. But the, looking at the most similar players, we can say that if he's 1,200 by the age of 19, we could expect him to perhaps peak at around 2,000, that sort of thing. So we can use as many historical priors as possible and, again, use techniques, statistical techniques like regression to the mean and similarity scores for players with low sample sizes, low minutes played thus far. So even if we've only got 20 minutes of a player, they came on as a sub in the 70th minute to make their debut. Even from those 20 minutes, we can still glean a little bit of a glimpse into his future and where what his range might be and his most like where he's most likely to fall within that range. I think that's really powerful. A lot of graphs you'll see on Twitter leave people with small sample sizes out, which isn't necessarily wrong. But if you've got the statistical techniques to correct for that um, and adjust them, then I think leave in as much as possible um, and glean as much value as you can. Um, facets of play again this is just looking using something called z scores which is um how far a player is away from the average um so we have to normalize all of the data which isn't something for this podcast um if you're interested there's plenty of resources online to learn about how to normalize a data set and yeah it's looking at how far above or below average something i love to do with all my stats i just think it's a nice way of comparing um, so it's how far above or below the average players are in basic things like minutes and and points adjusted points per game, and again the attacking and the defensive contributions. Just again to get a, a rough picture. None of this is meant to be a definitive be all and end all. It it can't compete with event data and tracking data in those terms, but it can at least give you an early guide or a guide at all for, for leagues where you don't have access to that. It's only collected, I, I guess, on the top leagues. So the further down you go, this can at least give you an idea of both how good a player a should be um, versus how good they are. So you can set feasible benchmarks, but also how we might best utilize them to get the best out of them. We might be trying to play them as a, a defensive midfielder when actually their attributes suit more of a, a box-to-box role getting forward as well as doing defensive duties so it can help us ask the right questions and hopefully answer them in a lot of cases um similar players again it's using as many historical prizes as possible to develop this range of possibilities um sometimes it'll bring up one player uh, sometimes it'll bring up two it finds the most similar player uh, if that most similar player doesn't happen to be in the same position um, then it'll bring up the player who is the most similar that position that's when it brings up two um so we can see this player on if you're watching the video version the most similar player is, is ruben nevers but they're obviously not a defensive midfielder which is what we class ruben nevers as so it's given as a second option in tangi and dombele and again this isn't meant to be perfect by any means it, it's just what the numbers are saying but again it, it might be able to offer insight into 
an underperforming player in a specific role in a specific team, if we were to adapt that role and ask them to perform slightly different functions, can we utilize them a little bit better? Football is all about efficiency and productivity at the end of at the, the very highest levels. You know, aesthetics are nice and that's what draws fans in, but we want to be maximizing every last bit of talent out of all the players at our disposal, which means using our squad um, to, the, to its maximum capacity in terms of giving minutes to players where possible and rotating and keeping everyone happy and healthy, but also using players in their optimum role to get the, the best productivity out of them. I think if we can develop more tools that do that, you know, people <laughs> cleverer than I am with access to far more data uh, and technical skill than I can build upon this groundwork then fantastic if it if it helps clubs gain those little edges the one the two to five percents that over the long run can win them 10 more points in a season which is going to lead to a few million pounds more which can lead to buying a better player or better training infrastructure or better academy development which means better young players can be developed and sold on for profits and help the club sustainably growing wealth and its structure then these are the edges we need to be looking to take and I guess that's one massive thing I've learned from sharing my work on Twitter is what feels good to tweet about and yeah scatter plots they're all the rage versus um what clubs actually value and I've really learned how to look at football through a lens of how can we make this applicable to a coach a scout, a director of football, a chairman, even a, someone like a marketing director. How can we maximize this player's time at our club so he can generate us points on the pitch and generate profits off the pitch? Um, and I think that's a really useful lens that I've developed and hopefully keep building tools that can build upon those learnings. Um, <laughs> moving on to probably the most controversial bit of our dashboards um, the role analysis. This is by no means perfect yet. This was just me wanting to fill some extra space and perhaps reveal some interesting or upsetting <laughs> insights, depending on the player in question. Yeah. The roles are pretty loosely defined. They're trained on between 20 and 50 players each who we as an LGOP team decided um, best fitted best epitomize those roles uh, and they're not perfect and I'm currently you know trying to develop more subtle ways of measuring the attributes and splitting them down finer and finer so that we can hopefully build this role analysis into a, a better picture of where a player's skill set is and it's not saying uh, within this example most of the roles are in midfielder but there's also a, a centre-back a couple of centre-backs on there it's not saying oh we should play this player as a centre-back not a midfielder because he suits a stopper at 98%. What it's saying is he's got attributes that good centre-backs should have, as well as attributes that midfield players should have. Uh, and it's learning how can we best utilise those attributes? What can we ask this player to do within the 11 players on the pitch as a whole in order to maximise um, what he's good at and negate what he's not so good at where possible? Uh, and that's what the role analysis is intended to be. And hopefully, as I say, I can keep refining it further and further. 
uh, and any input on it you know would be great if you think you've you've got a way of helping make it better please do get in touch and i'd be more than happy to help um you if if you can help me then i'll do my absolute utmost to try and help you and as i say gain gain these competitive advantages so what's in the pipeline um you may have seen on some of the recent dashboards something called per um completely stolen from from basketball actually completely stolen from um michigan soccer analytics on twitter um i'm not using event data as ever um but this stands for player efficiency rating which which comes from basketball and again it's it's a single number that tries to measure the production of a player so at the moment there's five factors that go into our player efficiency rating which are uh, attacking contributions uh, passing contributions or assisting um, defensive contributions winning contributions uh, and teammate tax as i like to call it and um, per is always set so that the league average is 15 so there are much better league adjustments in this than there were in stuff like impact score and goals per season and it means we again it's a really good way of judging players historically because the benchmark will always be set so that 15 is the average of this time span that they played in which is really good for cross-era comparisons uh, it scales really well um in terms of youth players they're low but they can project quite high and the aging curves that i'm managing to try and implement with this seem to be fitting quite well um again it goes up and up and down the leagues this can be applied at literally any level of football uh, you can, and again ap applicable in training as well sunday league grassroots um there's really no where where this isn't applicable um you know again plays with little to no minutes in our data set because i've got the historical prize i can look at oh, okay where did they come from what academies have they come through what coaches have they played under and try and build up a picture of even if they yet to make their debut how good we can expect them to be obviously they're probably going to be below average unless they're uh, killing mbappe when he made his debut probably would have blown my projections out of the water but we know they're below average but we can use historical prize and say okay someone born in this catchment area played for at this kind of youth standard and came through the Bolton and then the Preston academies, they're probably going to start out as this good and, and they could feasibly reach this high. And this is probably their floor and this is their ceiling. And then as they start to accrue more game time, we can say we can refine that range and go, okay, eventually he's probably going to be a, a top tier bottom end, a top tier championship bottom end Premier League player. So again, it's, it's about making those estimates and then the more access to data you have, the more observations you have, the more you can refine them. I think the PER stat that's under development, I think is possibly going to be even better for that than um, Pereja. Again, it, it's probably better at valuing good players on bad teams than Pereja is because um, it's not fussed about results as the teammate tax applied quite heavily. It's, it's solely focused, not fully focused. It's solely focused on what you can produce to get your team results again all converted to the currency of goals which i mentioned before is probably the most universally understandable and from that i'm i'm able to hopefully try and develop um more nuanced stylistic things such as um, trying to quantify passive versus active defenders um, and dribbling versus passing threats um and efficient shooters from volume shooters and things like that uh, so yeah there's there's some interesting stuff in the works um, and again, there's a few new charts and dashboard ideas that may be going along with that.
And ultimately, the key tool that I feel sets my work apart, maybe, is the simulation engine. It, it's extremely flexible. It's customizable to the max. I'm always trying to add new features like tactics, formations, player roles to it. And now we've got these attack and defense ratings for every player to see how they lift or decrease their team's chances of scoring and conceding um, using a bit of Pareja, a bit of PER. Um, you get attack and defense ratings. Again, 100 is average, easy to understand. Above 100 is good for attack. Below 100 is good for defense. From that, we can work out expected goals that each team's likely to score. We can adjust that as I say, for coach quality as well, hopefully down the line uh, and tactics. Um, and from the XG, we can simulate hundreds of thousands of games to get the probabilities of wins, draws, losses. But also things like who's going to score the goals, how many goals can we expect from each player? And even subtler event data, things like well, how many passes, how many defensive recoveries, how many dribbles, um, which is something I've managed to get working in our our draft league simulator, but it, it's coming to the match engine soon, hopefully. And then we can set feasible benchmarks for all of our players and all of our squad and the team as a whole. Uh, and we can set KPIs and targets for players and then see if they're matching up to expectation. And then we can go back to the drawing board. We can go back to similar players and think, okay, how can we tweak what we're asking them to do and how can we tweak their their job in this structure to get the very best out of them and to make sure they're hitting those expectations. So again, it, it all feeds into one another, hopefully. And also, I really just want to develop powerful tools that can help football clubs, football agents, people in the media make better informed decisions about football using really simple data points, but contextualize them in such a way that it's much easier to compare and contrast players it makes it easier to assess how good a player is likely to be going forward makes it easy to see how players might interact given different teammates given different opposition given different jobs to do on the pitch i think that context is really at the heart of using any metric any statistic any analytics if you can have that context and and know why something is the way it is I think you're well on your way to being able to make smarter decisions. And as I say, hopefully I can continue to develop these. Hopefully, please do get in touch. If you feel these could add any value to your work in, in any realm of football, please do get in touch. I'd love to have more conversations with people about how I can make my metrics and models more applicable to you and to the wider football and audience, hopefully. Um, Target, I guess, the future of Algot. As I say, if you're watching on screen, the drafts um, league, you now generate goals and assists and passes and saves for goalies and hopefully start translating that to the match engine and, and coming up with, you know, hopefully by the 21 22 season or maybe the 22 23 season, I can have like Premier League predictions in seven or eight statistical categories for, for every player from the stars to youth players who we might expect to make a debut that season. Um, and, you know, we might be able to re-simulate whole Premier League seasons, whole World Cups and see what happened in, you know, for fun, first of all. You know, it's always fun to look back. You know, Sky Sports love doing it all the time, looking back at classic matches and seeing what might have happened. Well, we've got tools to do that now. We can simulate any season of any league around the world ever 
but also we can gain insight from that. We can see how the expectation compared to the result and what decisions were put in place to make that. So if we simulate last season's Premier League and Liverpool didn't win, on our, we simulated it 10 times and Liverpool only won one. We can say, okay, what processes did Liverpool put in place? What processes did Jurgen Klopp put in place to overperform those odds? And from that, we can not only take those processes and apply them um, as a club or as a, a manager, can take those processes and do things a little bit differently to overperform, but also we at Elgop can also take that information, fit, convert it into something um, that a computer, our algorithms can understand and give better insight then from our model going forward. Um, so if Jurgen Klopp was doing something really different that managed to break our, our model and our metrics, we can then apply that uh, and apply that difference maker. And hopefully that helps us better understand what he's doing, but also similar scenarios end up coming up in the future, then we're better prepared um, to predict those actually happening. Uh, and then on the right hand side, our coaching model, Clough, named after um, Brian, not Nigel, sorry. Um, yeah, Clough, our coaching model, looking at hopefully trying to apply this to our simulation engine and looking at up and coming managers and what attributes we want in our managers, um, but also how to coach players better and how to work with coaches to understand their strong facets, but also the weaknesses in the coaching game um, and use that alongside our player metrics to, again, maximize efficiency, work out where the weak points are, improve those, work out where the strong points are uh, and get the most out of those. So I really hope it has been a little bit of a, a whistle-stop tour and I hope it has been of any use. Um, if you still have any questions or would like to discuss anything further, please do get in touch with me. Uh, on Twitter, at LGOP Felix. I'll be more than happy to chat football for absolutely hours. You'll probably get fed up with me because I could just go on and on about football. Uh, or you can send me an email, flixpayatme.com. I'll put links to both down below. Um, and hopefully that's been a really handy reference guide. You can go back to this at any point. If you see something I post online that you don't quite understand, you can go back to this and hopefully... It sheds a little bit of light on it. Um, so thank you very much for listening or for watching. Uh, and I'll see you for another episode of the Spreadsheet Test in the not-too-distant future. Goodbye for now.